0: Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to all be here today. I pray that you soften our hearts to hear your message that you have for us individually. I pray that you speak through me your words and not my own. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I know I see a lot of you that have been here before, but I don't know if all of you have been here before in February. So, if you have never been here before in February, I want to welcome you, and please stick around. So, today's title for the message is Unveiled and Undefiled. Being that this is a Titus 2, 3 to 5 ministry, I want to go ahead and read it, and it's there on your paper, you want to follow along, The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So what we're going to focus on today, if you could assume, is about loving our husbands. And the Greek word for love your husband is G5362, philandros. And it's not the same. It's not the same kind of love that we have for our children, or our parents, or our friends. This is a different kind of love, and it's very unique. It means to be fond of your husband, and ultimately to be their friendly lover. So you may be wondering how exactly it is that we should be loving him, right? Are you guys wondering that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So just to break the ice, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, so it's not awkward for a long time. It's sex. That is one of the biggest ways that we can love our husbands. And I'm not just being, you know, weird. This is biblical. It's uh, it's in the Bible. So if we can turn together to Hebrews 13:4, and the King James version says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. NIV version says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. The amplified version says, marriage is to be held in honor among all, that is, regarded as something of great value, and the marriage bed undefiled by immorality or by any sexual sin. God, God holds this. At a high, in a high honor. This isn't something that's casual, and it might be funny when we say it out loud, but it is something that is actually uh, very serious and undefiled. The Greek word for that is amiantos. It means not defiled, unsoiled, free from its force or vigor, impaired, without defect. Now that definition free from its force or vigor impaired. If something's coming at you really fast, can you stop it? It would be really hard to stop it, right? Sometimes you just have to let it be. So when you get in the way of something that's coming at you really fast, it's gonna end up creating a crash and it's gonna hurt that thing and it's gonna hurt you. So when we are in the way of this, we impair it. And this same word, undefiled, amiantos, is used in other verses, such as 1 Peter 1, 1.4. Let's go over it together. Well, I'm going to start reading from three, okay? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So that, depending on your version, you will have different words. But in mine, it's the word spoil. It will never spoil. It will never. It's undefiled. It's unsoiled. It's pure. It's without defect. So when we think about that great inheritance that God has for us, what are some thoughts we have about that? We think of it as something good, as something amazing, as something that we cannot wait to have one day in heaven, right? And that's great. You should think about it that way. But keep in mind that that same word to describe those things that await you in heaven is the same word that describes how your marriage bed should be. However, that is often not the case. And there could be many reasons for this, of course. But us, as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to be aware what our thoughts should be according to God's word. Now, in Ephesians five thirty-one to thirty-three, you can look at it later if you like. Paul compares marriage to the relationship of Christ in the church. That means that if you're married, you are a reflection. Of the relationship of Christ and the church. Now, not all churches are great ones. I know we know that because they're filled with humans and so are marriages. The thing is, though, that like churches, we in our marriage must strive to have a good relationship, to have a good definition of what it is to follow Christ, to show the world that the church really is the hope of the world, right? So what what is it that really keeps us from getting to that point or at least our thoughts getting to that point? Because there's a difference between knowing and doing. And this is not just for us in the church. This is for those outside of the church because we are to show them, not just by our words, but by our actions too. So of course our upbringing can have a lot to do with this. The way we were raised. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose our home. And now a lot of the youth is being influenced so much by the culture around us. And not just this culture, cultures around the world. So I'm gonna bring up some statistics taken in 2019, national statistics. These were not separated between church and outside of the church, so keep that in mind. So in the United States, the average age for a girl to lose her virginity is 17 years old. The average age for a woman to get married is 28 years old. That is a 10 year gap. If you think about it, between the first time she lost her virginity until the time she has been married. The next one says, the average amount of sexual partners women have is between seven and 19, ranging from different states. Now that shocked me. That was a high number. I was not expecting that number to be so high. But does it make sense? When we think about the first time it happened to the time they were married, and this whole time just, not thinking of it as something holy, but something casual. There was another survey taken in 2019 and this one did separate those in the church and those outside of the church. So these are specifically for those in the church. 67% of Christians said sex in a committed relationship was okay. 67% of Christian adults who are not in a committed relationship said sex was okay. 37% of Christians who date agree that sex was okay with their partner and with people outside of the relationship. 46% of Christians said sex on a first date was okay. So I know what you're thinking, right? Well, that's not okay. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not, it's not okay in God's standards because these are people who are held to God's standards. Those in the church, us, our children. If indeed our children are believers. That, that highly depends on us though, doesn't it? What they know, what they learn, it depends a lot on us. Now, I know I know that this is true. I have seen it myself. I have seen people outside the church have multiple partners. I have known people in the church doing the same thing. So that really got me wondering, what really is it? What is it? So I know for myself, I didn't grow up in a Christian church in a Christian family. I'm sorry. Um, I grew up in a in a religious family, but not really active like it. So but they had very strict rules and regulations. We don't talk about sex, sex is bad, sex is dirty, you don't do it, don't ever do it, don't ever talk about it, just, no, okay. So it was kind of like scary, you know, like this is a scary thing. And I have three older siblings. All three of my siblings grew up in the same house as I did. And they all had children outside of the marriage by the time they were 21. I didn't. You might be thinking, oh, that's because, Lupita, you were the good one, right? No, I wasn't. There was a big difference between me and them. Jesus found me at the time where my life could have changed like theirs did. When I was dating my boyfriend at the time, I wasn't a believer. I was a teenager, but I wasn't a believer. So one of the very first things that he was very intentional about with me was introducing me to Jesus. And yes, I was very blessed. And although I didn't come to right away, it was something that was there and because of that i started coming here and here i definitely learned about the holiness and the sacredness of marriage and of intimacy so you see it wasn't me and myself and my integrity that kept me pure and kept me from living that lifestyle it was jesus he's the one who came and turned my life upside down at right the perfect time so but those statistics are not just for those outside of the church, right? So I, I interviewed two ladies that I know grew up in a church. And here are some of the questions. They will remain anonymous. So one of the questions was, did you grow up in a church? And they said, yes. They were born into a Christian household. One of them had parents that were involved in serving consistently. The other one, was not involved in serving but had a parent who was consistently at church multiple times a week. I asked them, Do you, did you know that your parents were Christian? And they both said, yes, very surely, yes. Okay. Then I asked, did your parents ever talk to you about sex? They both said, no. One of them said, one of their parents did bring it up and just said, don't have sex before marriage, but didn't say the reasons why, didn't explain further. And um, that parent did not have a stable marriage. One of them, their parents left the church when she was a preteen. They both lost their virginity when they were teenagers. They are both married now and have family. They both came to know that marriage is good after coming back to Christ, being adults, after hurts. We all know that God is a perfect father. Like Jennifer said, one of her other lessons, it stuck out to me. Yet he has rebellious children. So we can tell our children all these things. We can tell them, we can show them statistics, we can talk about it a lot. And they might still choose to go their own way. And that's okay. However, it is our responsibility to make sure that we teach them. We should definitely teach them about God's design and how this is a gift from God, that it's not dirty, that it's not tainted. Because when we see the world and we tell our kids, don't do this, don't do that, that's bad. You definitely don't want to end up like that person. They might hear you say all these things. But if you're not showing them that it truly is a gift, that it truly is something good and enjoyable to have with your spouse, obviously not in the details, but in the relationship. Because in loving your husband this way, it will be very evident in your marriage relationship. You will grow closer together as friends, as playmates, and your kids will see it. They will definitely see it. Do your kids see that you pursue your husband? Do they know that he's first? Do they know that you care about him? Or do they see you giving him minimal attention after you're done with all your busy tasks throughout the day? And everything else that we have on our plate. When it's convenient for us. Do they see love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control specifically in your home, in your marriage? Or do they only see it outside of there? So there's this book with that in mind. It's called The Resolution for Women by Priscilla Schreier. And there's a chapter in here that talks about legacy. In page 257, it says, As women in whom God's spirit lives and has borne fruit, we have each been called to be the godly legacy, to pass the baton of his grace and truth to others, who will then take it to lengths and destinations we will never go ourselves. This is not an option. This is a heavenly mandate. How unjust it would be for God's work in your life to start and stop with you so you see with your legacy in mind when we do these things when we show our kids even when they act like they don't care even when they think like oh mom dad don't kiss in front of me you they it's actually very important to them and it's very important to their future this is something that can stand for generations you know something that really stuck out to me about this chapter When I read that, you were probably thinking it was for your children, right? And it is, but this chapter was specifically for women who do not have children and who are not married. Because it was talking about how sometimes uh, women who are not married or who don't have children think that they don't have to keep their legacy in mind, that what they have to offer is not good enough to pass on to somebody else. And that's not true. Yes, it's important to teach our children. Yes, absolutely. But it's also important that those around you can see the same thing wherever you go, your sphere of influence. And this is a great example of it. All the women here giving their wisdom down from generation to generation. And it just keeps going. That's how it's been for 65 years, 64 years. So pass on the baton of what you know and what you know, make sure that it's God's word. So with our legacy in mind, do we love our husbands the way they need to be loved? Let's look in First Corinthians 7, 4. It says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you might devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So this specifically says that your body is not yours, right? And we're not to keep that from our husbands. And if we have to, for some reason, then at the end of that verse, it says, Come together again. There's another one in here. That, that was important in this book, same book. But any woman resolving to fulfill her husband must consider these mysterious, perhaps intolerable facets about. Him. Those are the things we don't like about him. And understand that a major part of her role in marriage will be to value support, honor, and encouragement, even when it goes against every last nerve impulse in her body. It is the gift you commit to give him when you marry him. And this is true. And you might be wondering, well, what about him? But we're not talking about him. We're the ones who are gonna give an account for our own life, for our own actions to God one day, not him. He has his own. So, again, Sex is very important to our husbands. It's very important in our marriage because through that, he feels loved and supported. And I know that it's hard sometimes. I know there could be things hindering us. Multiple things. Our busyness. We're tired. We might have small children that take up all our energy during the day. We might have something even bigger like abuse in our past. That is something that could really hinder them. But I can tell you with full confidence that any of those things, from the smallest one to the biggest one, if you bring it to God, he can restore it and he can make it possible. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make that helper suitable for him. Who is that helper suitable for him that he made? Us. His wife, right? That is the role that God created for us. And although at times in our marriage, or even in intimacy, that we might be struggling and not find fulfillment in the way that we'd like, know that we can find fulfillment in the role that God has given us simply by following him, simply by obeying his commands and following him with all of our hearts we will find fulfillment far more greater than anything else could ever give us. And I know sometimes it's hard to understand them because they're different things, very different things. They think different, they look different, everything. So I recently read this book that I had read a long time ago but now it's revised. And it's the book for women only, the revised version by Shanti Feldman. And in this book, she surveys men both in the church and outside of the church to get a better understanding of what it is exactly that they're thinking for very specific topics. A lot of the ones I'm gonna reference are specifically for churchgoers, but some of them are mixed. And surprisingly, the results are pretty much the same for both. In one of the chapters, in chapter three of that book, part of the surveys revealed that men really feel like imposters, not just as husbands, but anything really, fathers, friends in the, their role at work, everything. So there's a poem here. The secret heart cry of a man is, do I measure up? And he is looking to those around him, especially the women who knows him best, for clues to the answer to that question. That's us. Our men are looking to us to find the answer to the question do I measure up? In a specific survey, 74% of men said they regularly or sometimes are not as confident as they look. 74%, that's a big number. And if you translate that, that means that they are insecure 74% of the time. So with that in mind, listen to this next one. 97%. That's only three shy 100 of men want to be wanted or desired by their spouse. 97%, 74% of men said they would not be satisfied with their wife just doing it out of duty. So yes, you should not withhold. But you should do it in a way that lets your husband know that you want and desire him. That will definitely build his confidence up. On chapter six, it says of that same book. Your desire is a bedrock form of support that gives him power to face the rest of his daily life with a sense of confidence and well-being. We can impact the way our husbands go to work every day and provide for us the attitude he has about it, the way he is a father and the way he loves you when he feels loved. We have very specific demands of feeling loved at times. I think, I know I can sometimes. Well, why didn't he tell me this? Why didn't he buy me this? Why didn't we go here? He should know, right? But then it's like this one thing that they want. They just want that. They just want you. And they want to feel like you want them too. Keep in mind that this has a big impact on those who are looking at you and observing you. And a lot of times it's those that we don't even realize are doing it. And like they like to say here, we're all older than someone. But let's talk about practical terms now. Let's get out of the seriousness a little bit. What are things we can put into practice to actually do this on a daily basis or not on a daily basis, but consistently? Uh, I know for for me, romancing my husband is not typical romance, but spending time with him in a way that he likes, like long conversations. Right now, he really enjoys reading and listening to books. He does it a lot like every day. And when he's done doing it, he wants to talk about it. And these are not just normal books. They're books about complicated things that I don't understand a lot of times. But I try to, or at least I ask him a lot of questions because I don't understand. And therefore I'm engaging in it. And to him, that's like, oh my gosh, my wife loves me. Even just me listening to him makes him feel that way. Maybe it's different for you. Maybe it's sitting next to him while he watches a game or going somewhere, or I don't know, just being next to him while he plays a sport or fixes his car, whatever it is that your own husband specifically enjoys to do. That's romancing. That's like him taking us out to a nice dinner and having a romantic evening with flowers. Whatever else we find romantic, we can dress in his favorite clothes one day when we're gonna go out on a date. Something that he likes to see us in. Jennifer mentioned wearing the jewelry that he has bought you before, that's important so that he knows that you're actually thinking about him during the day. Maybe it's something more simple, and you can just wear something that's really easy to take off behind closed doors because. That's really all he's thinking about when he's watching you dress in a specific way. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just has to be, you know, practical for him. So really what I'm trying to say is make an effort. Whatever that looks like for you, make an effort. A human notice. He notices when you take months and months planning a party for your kids or planning an event or being part of a ministry and you have to do this and you have to do that. And it's on your mind all the time. Every time you go to the store, you're like, oh, wait, I have to get this. Oh, wait, that would be perfect for that. But that usually doesn't involve him at all. So when you even make a slight effort, like of thinking about specifically what you can wear for him, he's going to notice. He's going to not let you care. And then from there, you can build it. You can be creative. I know a lot of ladies in the room who are creative. They're crafty. You can get crafty. No one else has nobody but you. It'll be behind closed doors. Let's go to Proverbs twelve, four. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Do you want to be his crown? Are you like his crown? Think about that. Now, the last verse I have for you is in Proverbs 31, 10. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. We can be our husband's treasure. And if you don't have a husband, all this information is very valuable to share with those around, with those who are married. Because remember that marriage is a reflection of the relationship of Christ in the church. So what is it indeed that we are reflecting to the world? So with that, I have something that I want to show you guys. This is the most expensive diamond in the world that I'm holding up right here. And by your faces, I can see that a lot of you don't believe (laughs) me. Do you? Does anybody in here believe me? Yeah, no. I wouldn't believe you either if I saw this. Why, Why is it specifically that you don't believe me? Is it because it doesn't look like a diamond? Yeah? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah? that makes sense. Diamonds don't look like this. This is not how they have them at the jewelry store. This is not how you see them on displays in the museum. (laughs) So for all you know, this could just be filled with random things, right? Would you buy it off of me? No. No? No. <laughs> okay. it? it's, it's something oh, so what it's is a, it it's the most expensive diamond in the world I can't. oh a diamond a diamond yeah oh, okay because i didn't okay. know it so if you went to go buy a diamond and they sold it to you like this <laughs> would you take it no, no, no. You like that because is. you you don't know what it is they could be lying to you more than likely they would be lying to you and you just have to take their word for it like can i touch it can i grab it nope you just have to take my word for it this is it (laughs) okay so sometimes when we display the greatest gift god has, has given to us whether it's salvation or things like a good marriage to the world or to our children and we only talk about it but we don't show any action behind it. This is what it looks like. This is what that great treasure you're talking about looks like. Does it look like great treasure? No. Because it's covered up, it's raggedy. It doesn't look nice. It doesn't look how you're describing it. Not if you're not showing them, that is. So. Sometimes when we first come to know God and we realize these things, we take off that first layer and either we begin to see it a little bit closer for ourselves or sometimes we begin to express it a little better to others. So now that I'm gonna take off this first one. Oh, (laughs) whoops. Is this a treasure? This looks like a treasure still. Can I sell it to you now? Will you buy it now? It looks like it a little bit more now. You see the shape? You're getting a little closer, but you're still telling me about something that is not really there that I really can't see. So the closer we get to Christ, or the closer we want to display his love in our lives, more layers we start to. So now I'm gonna take this one off, and maybe you'll believe me now. Okay, so now you see it has this layer, and you can really see through this layer. You see that? It's so thin, it has little tiny holes on it. It's like a veil. In this veil, I want you to represent in your mind the veil that was in the temple that got torn to two when Jesus gave up his life for you on the cross, and that represented that you no longer need an intercessor to come into his presence. You can go into the holiest of holies, into God's presence, yourself, whenever you want. It's there. It's an option for you. So when we find this treasure or want to display it in our lives, we can take off the veil. We don't need it anymore. Jesus died on the cross, so we wouldn't need it anymore. Here I am. You're definitely going to buy it from me now, right? Ooh. Here it is. Here's a treasure. Will you buy it now? Let me turn it around. Something on it? Is that what you said? Yeah, there's something on it. Yeah, sometimes, even when we're able to come into God's presence, we come with things of our past. We come with things of our upbringing, things of our culture we come to him like this, full of stuff that is not from him. And we bring that into our homes. We bring that into our marriages. And sometimes we put up the treasure for display looking like this and expect others to believe that it is indeed treasure. But how do I get rid of that stuff? You might be thinking, are you thinking that? Yes. Okay, so. Since that veil is no longer there, the way to get rid of it is to come into his presence as often as you need because sometimes this can come back on even when you take it off. And every time you go there, he's going to remind you of something. Something special. Let's say this is the blood of Jesus. Okay? And this is you coming full of stuff. This is a display that has a treasure that you say is there. But with the blood of Jesus, just a drop starts to fade away. It's going everywhere now. You kind of see a shape now. Kind of. Maybe a little bit more. Ooh. See something now. What do you think now? Is it? Could it possibly be the most expensive diamond in the world? (laughs) You see, Jesus washes that away every time you come into his presence. You could ask him to because that's why he died. you. You don't need to worry about your past or about your regrets or your shame and your guilt. You can wash it away. And Sometimes it's really stuck on there. Sometimes we need those around us to point it out. You could be walking around thinking you're a shiny treasure and your friend can be like, whoa, you got something on there. Let me help you clean it up. Like Kristen, like this place. Then Jesus did all the work now we're just coming alongside each other to help wipe it off all the way. To buffer it. And help you make sure that it really does look like treasure. Treasure that he intended it to look like. So you can really have it on display. Okay, so I'm going to give you the same question again. Will you buy it off of me? Oh, yeah. yes. oh, okay. And I have to confess something. This really isn't the most expensive diamond. In the world. I'm sorry, guys. But you understand my point, right? Now it really does look like treasure. Now, this is really what God did for you. This is really what your marriage, what your home could look like. And you know what? You could really put it on display now for everyone to see. And every time they come, they're gonna be like, wow, that's beautiful. What is that? How can I get some of that? Now, I want you to take off, take out the rock that you picked up. Take it out, look at it. Now look at this. One. Do they look the same? No, they don't look the same. This one is shiny. It's translucent. It could be something. This is what diamonds look like rock. When they're got off the ground, off the rock, they look like this. I mean, not exactly. Someone like this. They have rough edges. They're not exactly shiny like that. They don't have those cuts. They look like this. And this might be where a lot of us are at. I know. This is me a lot. You see, to get a diamond to look like this, there's a lot of special things that have to happen. And you can't just take this diamond and do this and form it into that. It doesn't work that way. See, you need diamonds to cut other diamonds. (laughs) And you need lasers in order to make special cuts and princess cuts and I don't know any other cuts, but you need those kinds of tools in order to do that. So (coughs) we probably don't have that, do we? have other diamonds to cut diamonds, or have lasers to cut diamonds, but we have each other. And just like this blood washed away, all that filth from this, it can help make those cuts too. And it might not look exactly like that. It might have a different cut to it because we're all different and our situations are all different. But is it still gonna be beautiful and expensive and treasure? Yes, it is. So now you're gonna get a difference as a reminder that this could look like something else. It could right now be filled with stuff. You might need to wash it off in the way that I showed you. And you could do that. But if it ends up looking like this and not like that, Know that we all need buffer. And in the end, it can look like something special. So if you would like to keep it, I would ask you to keep it as a reminder, both of them, of what you have and what could be. And as a reminder of this situation. See, how we love our husbands can make a really big difference. It could be that diamond that I tried to sell you fully covered, or it could be that, that you can have on display and reflect. If I put this in the light, can you see it? Yes. 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 It could reflect point. all the goodness of God, all his promises. It could reflect the relationship that the church and him are supposed to have. That is all I have for you guys today. Let's go ahead and pray and we can talk about it more in a second. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for all your goodness and faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for giving us a treasure that's much more beautiful than what we could have ever expected. I pray that you help us apply something that we've learned, Lord. I pray that you convict us if we need to be convicted and just be with us. Help us, Lord, by you, Lord, in everything that we do. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. え?